Did you know Montel uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to forecast spot prices, inflow to reservoirs, wind and runoff river production? We can improve forecasts for your individual power plants anywhere in Europe. Contact us at ai.motelnews.com for more info. Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in a virtual setting. My name is Richard Svarison. Today's pod is all about the Norwegian system operator Startnet and about cables. Joining me is Alke Lont, the CEO of Startnet. A warm welcome to you, Alke. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to an interesting discussion. Excellent. I thought I'd like to start off the discussion by asking how you're coping under COVID-19. What does it mean for Startnet and, and for you personally, Alke? So we basically are still in this extraordinary modus. On the 15th of June, we have partly returned uh, from home to the offices and uh, we will gradually uh, increase the presence uh, in the future. Normality is maybe weeks, months away, but uh, maybe it'll be a new normality even. Okay, but um, what's been the impact of the coronavirus crisis on the Norwegian electricity system and in particular the grid, the high voltage grid? Well, so far we basically don't see much an impact on this. Of course, we had to make these precautions and, uh, and start working from home and keeping people away from public transportation, those type of things that worked very well. So we basically didn't catch any or hardly any virus infections in Southnet. And then from the day-to-day operations, it worked fine. Of course, the project portfolio with people in the field working close together, inspections, uh, maintenance, that type of work needed to be redesigned. We did, and I think the short answer is that uh, we have basically gone through this without many delays or, or changes. Okay, so largely unscathed then in, in terms of you know infrastructure, work, etc. Yes. How about power consumption in Norway? There have been dramatic falls in other parts of Europe, but in Norway, have we seen much of a decrease in, in power demand? Actually not. <laughs> it was for us a surprise. By the way, we have uh, much better data now since we have the data hub, which you probably know. It's possible to extract some uh, some information from that. And, and you see that on the overall uh, level, there is very little difference in uh, power consumption compared to a normal year. But when you dig down, you can see that, for example, in uh, hotels or that type of business, there was a quite dramatic fall. Absolutely, but not so much in the industry as yet anyway. No. It'd be interesting to see how, how this situation develops, because if we come into a deep economic recession or whatever, then the demand for products produced by Norwegian, Norwegian industry could drop off. Uh, I know there are some worries there. Do you, do you have any estimates or analysis of what happens uh, post-COVID in terms of power demand? We haven't really seen things coming on that side, and we have not really got information either from customers. Although I see some small signs that Maybe parts of the heavy industry start adjusting a little bit. But my feeling today is that we will see very little change in demand so far. Moving on to the, you know, once we're out of the coronavirus crisis, what's the role of, of a TSO? I mean, in assisting the green transition. Now, that's very clear of the direction of travel, both on the European side, also nationally within Norway and the region, in the Nordic region. 
What role can the, the TSO play and someone like Stadnet? Uh, one of your slogans is the future is electric, but what, what does that mean, you know, in terms of the concrete measures to, to move to a, a greener future? The short version, as you say, is that the future is electric. <laughs> I firmly believe that green uh, electricity, wind, solar, uh, can help to, to drive out carbon from the power system, and then and then a power system can a green power system can start driving out carbon from transportation uh, through electric cars or from heating through heat pumps, and, and also through hydrogen into, for example, industry. So so indeed, the short version is the future is electric, and it will be green. And what do we need to do as a TSO to realize that vision, so to speak? Besides, of course, our main task, which is to keep the lights on, number one, always. Well, it's strengthening the grid, which we have been doing for quite some time, many years, the last five, seven years. We have heavily invested. It is putting into place better communication systems so that we can extract more information from the system or we can communicate better with our customers. So that, that information can be used in running a system where there is more intermittent power. And uh, I think it is also uh, speaking about this, uh, making it clear that uh, the, the future will be different. Electricity will become more important. So we also do things like that, producing a report on uh, the issue of an electric Norway. What does it take, for example, where we do some, some showcases of uh, what can be done and should be done. How much power would it eventually take to green the Norwegian energy system? You know, I think in some ways, Norway, Norway's very far ahead of other countries, certainly in terms of electric vehicles. But uh, I see there's been some interesting developments within Norway, you know, in terms of hydrogen, hydrogen projects. What's your evaluation of these? Okay. I think if you follow the argument that we need more power, uh, we need more green power, the system needs to work. Then we also see that uh, if we have a lot of windmills or a lot of solar, then there will be periods where there is just too much power for the system uh, to accommodate. And we have to do something with that excess power. Uh, we already see it in the markets where sometimes prices go beyond zero, which is an indication that from time to time there's simply too much power in the system. And here I think the idea of hydrogen comes in. So you have to do something with a very cheap power. Back to my story, we see that hydrogen can play a role in heavy industries, for example, to drive out carbon. You can produce steel without coal, but with hydrogen. And there is a pilot project up in the north of Sweden trying to show that. So having all this uh, renewable stuff from time to time, too much of it, opens up an avenue towards hydrogen. And then hydrogen can be used into those sectors, which we call the hard two-way sectors, to drive out carbon there. So I think, indeed, in the future, there is a, a place for hydrogen because of uh, the availability of cheap green electricity and the need of finding solutions to drive out carbon in industry. In a sense, the, the term future is quite vague. Are we talking five years or 10 years, 20 years, Alke, do you think? For hydrogen, yeah. I, I think well, we hydrogen, especially. Sorry. Five to 10 years. Uh, although uh, what I heard from the pilot project in Sweden, that things are moving pretty fast and that they think they can have a, a pretty big plant in 2025, which could produce this so-called uh, carbon-free steel. That's dramatic. But of course, the Nordic system is changing as well with a lot more wind coming online in, in both Sweden and in Norway. How do you see that affecting the power system generally in the years to come? Oh, that's a $10,000 question. I think you are pointing to uh, very important drivers here. We, we see a, a, a significant change in the system. We see uh, much more uh, intermittent renewable getting into the Nordic power system. 
we see the completion of interconnectors, which will change flows in the system. We see also uh, new types of demand. You were talking about cars. Also in industry, we see changes. And all those changes have to be accommodated in such a way that the system still works 24-7. So we need definitely better information, more data about what is going on in the system so that we can act on basis of better information. Probably we'll need more automation because some of those changes are going so fast that uh, you actually need to have uh, standardized and automated actions uh, to respond to that rather than, uh, say, manual uh, type of things. And we need certainly also better predictions. When, when we have a lot of uh, wind power and a lot of solar, changes in the weather could have dramatic influences. And uh, the more precise we can get that information on the table, the better we can act as a TSO. Absolutely. I mean, do you think then in terms of, you know, we're seeing very low spot prices in Norway, at least, they're higher elsewhere in the Nordic region, but in Norway, they're very low. Do you think increased wind will exacerbate the situation in terms of, of very wet years and will maybe flatten out some of the volatility in drier years? That's a hard call. I really don't know and don't want to speculate. <laughs> this because I think we're getting surprised every time about how those things interact. The situation we are in here today with uh, very high snow reservoirs after having waited a long time for the winter to come. Who would say this in, uh, in the beginning of January, that it would look like this today? And then the interaction with wind, as you said, when, when we get so much wind into the, the Nordic system, again, will also uh, put some nice surprises in front of us, I'm quite sure. Absolutely. So in addition to better forecasts and predictions, maybe we need a crystal ball, Lauke. That might help us. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, if I can broaden the discussion a bit more into what's happening on the, on the European level, I mean, one element which is of clear importance for TSOs is the, the 70% cross-border target for cross-border trading of electricity. What, what's your view here, Alki? Is this just an arbitrary number or is, is it achievable? Is it set too high, too low? What, what are your opinions here? It all starts off with the EU wanting to get a better functioning market, observing that from time to time, uh, certain uh, interconnections are simply not available to the market, finding out that bottlenecks might be moved from inside the country to the border and thereby actually uh, the market not functioning optimally. So I, I see this as a kind of, uh, not a bureaucratic, but a, a formal way of trying to open up the market a bit more. And then, of course, that needs to be evaluated, how it works. Does it create new problems? What does it do to the security of supply in the countries affected? Because that might be an issue. And then most likely we will go on from there. And, and, and countries, as I uh, understand, also have to act on basis of uh, building their infrastructure because there are bottlenecks which need to be removed. And if they do that, then, of course, those, those issues on the border would gradually disappear. So it's a complicated picture, but it all starts off, I think, with the acknowledgement that the markets are not functioning optimally. And I guess that was also one of the things in my, my little previous intervention on the Nordic system. I was talking about solutions, IT, data. But one of the most important solutions, of course, to manage the system is having well-functioning markets. And that also very much applies in, in the Nordics. The better the market works the better signals are given to all players and the better they react and the easier it becomes for us as a TSO to do the cleaning after the party is over. 
and that's the role of uh, that. I think that's sometimes not well enough understood that the markets are really doing the, the hard work to trying to to remove uh, as much as possible imbalances, bottlenecks, and things like that. And then there is a little bit work left, hopefully not too much, for the TSO to balance out the, towards the 50 hertz, so to speak. So the better the market works, so the easier the, the job for the TSO is, and the other way around. The less well the market works, the more work the TSO has to do to balance out. Markets are very important. Absolutely. If I can ask you about uh, some interconnectors, in particular about some interconnectors. So I think, okay, you know, Norway's building interconnectors both to Germany and to the UK. Nordlink to Germany, we see that some of the, the capacity in the first years of its operation will not be made available to the market. I mean, there's, there's maybe far from the 70% number that we just uh, mentioned. Can you tell us some of the reasons for that? No, I don't think there, the reason is anything else than that the Germans have to decide on what can they put on their uh, on their system. And uh, as I understand, there is both dialogue at different levels and uh, there is a proposal uh, which has been made uh, earlier by the, by the Department of Energy and uh, that probably be sorted out over time. Is the problem internal bottlenecks in, in Germany? Or if that is the problem, internal congestion within Germany between the north and south, wouldn't a better solution be maybe to, to split Germany up into other bidding zones or bidding areas? Well, I guess that's uh, one of the, the issues which, uh, of course, also the Commission is looking at as a concept. Can you deal with bottlenecks through pricing zones, bidding zones? And we do that very heavily in Norway. We have five bidding zones in Sweden and Denmark. So bidding zones is definitely one way of coping with uh, bottlenecks. Uh, building new infrastructure is another one. I, I guess countries have to find out what fits them best and what can be implemented and, and how, how will it work. Yeah. And of course, it's very political as well. But, I, but you know, there is the case that you pull liquidity or you ease bottlenecks by creating more bidding zones. I mean, where do you stand on that, Delka? It's a very uh, delicate question you raise because, uh, of course, the more bidding zones you create, probably the, the less liquidity you get into your market or partly. And, and that, again, is something uh, referring to my earlier statement that the mar- well-functioning market is extremely important. So, so there, there definitely is a... Um, point, I wouldn't say an optimal point, but there is a limit to everything, right? And uh, finding the balance here is it's not easy. It uh, takes a lot of work and takes also a lot of cooperation with the stakeholders because it might affect stakeholders in, in different ways. We need to communicate uh, very clearly around those issues with our stakeholders so that everybody kind of led to the, the same solution and appreciates it. What's the dialogue with those stakeholders like? Is it very constructive? And also with others such as national regulators or the commission, could you give us an insight into, you know, if you're a fly on the wall, what would those uh, discussions be like? I guess it's different. We have uh, in the Nordics, uh, I think we have a pretty good system of uh, stakeholder meetings together with our Nordic TSO colleagues and um, trying to explain what we're doing, what the challenges are, how we are doing it and getting feedback on that. But still, of course, each stakeholder might have a different agenda and uh, that might, of course, result in different signals back to us. But I feel that there is a a common understanding, although you certainly know that some of the stakeholders now we're talking about flow-based and things like that that could affect the system. But all in all, 
I experience a pretty good climate between DSOs on the one side and, and the stakeholders on the other side in the Nordics. Then when it comes to regulators, of course, certain things we have to do because uh, Brussels puts in place new regulations and then we have to adjust our systems. And then, of course, it's important that the regulatory framework allows us to do it and that it moves with a speed which helps us to, to carry things through. And here, of course, you have four regulators from four different countries, and uh, that probably also requires some training on how to, on how to accommodate the things that TSOs have to put in place. It's a diverse picture, I think, without being too precise, but I think uh, that's the way of looking at it. It's a diverse picture. And, uh, and I think that the most important thing of all around all of this actually is that uh, everybody needs to realize that we are in the same boat. We are in the boat of uh, having a uh, power system, a Nordic power system, which has to work and a power system which is subject to large changes and we have together the producers, the big consumers, the regulators and the TSOs to find out how can we manage that system so that it also will work in the future. And I think as long as we have that uh, common understanding that yes, we are in the we are actually in the same boat and we need to find out how we're going to steer that boat in the direction and then what is needed actually to keep the boat floating. We use, I think, in the Nords, we have a good tradition for that. Good stakeholder dialogues. I think we have a very good uh, Operation with our Nordic TSOs companies. Just uh, shortly, we had another uh, CEO meeting. We have them regularly to keep us uh, on the toes. But I think there is a pretty well understanding of uh, where we should go and, and why we should go there. And if we keep repeating that, I think we will get people on board in the boat. Mm, absolutely. It's all about uh, not rocking the boat as well, I suppose. Well, the boat can maybe tolerate a few uh, from side to side swings, maybe maybe some stormy weather. Uh, okay, if I can just follow up on one thing you said about the flow-based market coupling. I, I know there are some concerns in the Nordic region, but isn't there debate now in the Nordic region about the level it was maybe five, six years ago in the continental Europe? Or are there some differences there? Uh, hard to say for me. Uh, I don't exactly know how those things develop on the continent. But um, as I read it from there, it, uh, there was some skepticism. And after all, uh, when it uh, started working, it, it worked pretty well. I think what is important is, of course, that there is uh, this issue of transparency. If, if you have to operate in such a market with those boundaries, you need to understand what is going on. So it, I guess from our side, we have just an extra push to, to open up as much as we can so that the players understand how this system actually is working and is not creating any surprises so that people get very cautious and then are not willing to go into positions because then we drain liquidity and that's something which the market absolutely doesn't need. So the, the transparency uh, around what we are doing is extremely important. And then we have to keep in mind, uh, as I said, the boat, we want to keep, we are in the same boat, we want to keep the boat floating and going into the right direction. The reason why we do this is that um, this flow-based capacity calculations will enable us to, to utilize the system even more. We put more power into the system and uh, operate it at, at a higher level of security, which is good for everybody because it, it pulls costs down because we can handle more power uh, with less investments and it presumably increases security of supply. Absolutely. I mean, a final question, really, and uh, this is about another interconnector, the, the one to the UK. What does Brexit mean for the project and for you, you know, as a company? Are you, are you concerned about what's happening here in terms of Brexit? Or have you put a plan B or maybe you have a plan C up your sleeve to cope with the complexities ahead? The bottom line here is that uh, 
uh, when you together build an interconnector, put much money into it, and there is a basic need for that interconnector because the systems on both sides of them are different. Such an interconnector will be used. And I think that conviction is there. It has never been changed. We know that this is a, is a good project because the, the systems are so different and uh, we can have synergies by connecting them. And when you then build such a line, uh, it will be used. So I think that's uh, really the, the short story of it. And then the politics around this, of course, are, uh, I wouldn't say concerning us, but they are there. And we know that the UK will leave the internal energy market. And then the question arises, how does such an interconnector, which is needed and wanted, how will it operate in a new setting where the UK is not part of the internal energy market? Or in another way, which we don't know yet, because the politics have not really decided on it. So I think we need just to be able to cope with those different outcomes, what will be the the framework where this interconnector can operate in, knowing that it is a very well-placed investment. Both parties would have a high interest of utilizing it, and then we will find the solution. Perfect. And of course, the governments across Europe maybe have other priorities to look at first. Alke, thank you very much for joining the Montel Weekly Podcast. It was a great pleasure. Thank you very much. Remember, listeners, to keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Goodbye. <laughs>